void. Death and taxes. I have to tell you, I, I disagree. I disagree. You see, you can avoid taxes. You really can. It might mean you have to lie. It might mean you have to live a clandestine lifestyle. It might mean you might end up in jail. But no one, as, as far as I know, is put to death for not paying their taxes. Okay? You can avoid them if you want to pay that price. But on the other hand, death, death comes to us all. We can't avoid it. One out of one dies. One out of one dies. And even if you multiply that number, a thousand out of a thousand dies. A million out of a million dies. A billion out of a billion dies. It doesn't change. One out of one dies. And from a biblical standpoint, death is a reality because of the fall. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Where mankind, man and woman, Adam and Eve, decided to rebel against God. To not obey Him. To not take His word seriously. That in the day that you eat of the fruit of the, of the, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. No, we decided, I, I'm not sure you're, you're being honest with me, God. I'm not sure you're being forthcoming. In fact, I think you're holding out on me. So, mankind decided to, to take God and just forget His Word. And it introduced death into this world, didn't it? And it affects all of creation. All of the negative things we see in this world, all the tragedy, all the hardship, it's a result of the fall. A result of the fall. Now, from a biblical standpoint, <laughs> you say, okay, that's, that's, that's fine and good. I get it up here intellectually. But in that moment where we face death, or the death of a loved one, again, we start to question God. God, where are you? Couldn't you have done something about this? Have you forgotten me? Don't you see? Don't you see what's going on here? That is the existential or the emotional thing we wrestle with in that moment where we lose a, lost, lose a, lost, a loved one or even face our own death. Couldn't you have done something about this? Well, again, we're in the Gospel of Luke. And if you have your Bibles, you might want to crack it open to chapter 7. And Jesus deals with this issue. He's got quite a lot of popularity going on right now. He's a lot of momentum behind his ministry. And he runs right into a tragedy. And we see how God has done something. 
has done something in the midst of this fall. So, if you want to read along with me, this is Luke chapter 7. We're going to pick it up, pick it up at verse 11 and read about this episode in Jesus' life ministry. Verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went into a town called Nain, and His disciples and a large crowd went along with Him. As He approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of His mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, His heart went out to her. And He said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier where they were, carrying him, they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Tell you what, let me pray for us and then we'll get into this episode of what God has done. So Lord Jesus, an amazing thought that you put on flesh and dwelt among us. So would you come now with your Holy Spirit and open our eyes and give us eyes to see you for who you truly are? And would you give us hope because of who you are? Would you help us to see that you are indeed good, even in the midst of this broken and fallen world, even as we face death? So Lord, now be with us and do in us what you will. Lord Jesus, in your precious name I pray these things. Amen. So if you're with us last week, we were starting this chapter, and a, a foreigner, a centurion, comes to Jesus, well, he sends a, a delegation to Jesus to come and heal this centurion's servant. He's at the edge of death. And as Jesus is making his way, the, the, the military man sends his, another delegation and says, Lord I'm not worthy for you to come under my house, my house's roof. So just say the word. Say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority. I tell this one, come, and he comes. I tell that one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, do this, and he does it. And Lord Jesus, I believe you have the same authority even over the sickness that my servant has. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, I've not seen such faith even in the house of Israel. And the servant was healed because of his faith, because Jesus had authority to speak healing over that, that sickness. So as you can imagine, this is happening in Capernaum, a place where Jesus calls home base. And this is very public. And so momentum swells because of this. And now Jesus is making his way down from Capernaum down to a place called Nain. It's about 25 miles south 
of Capernaum. It's seven miles uh, southeast of Nazareth where Jesus grew up. So this is a place that Jesus knew about. It's kind of like walking to Byron from here. And Jesus has himself, he's got his disciples, and a whole entourage following. And there's an excitement of, man, let's see what Jesus is going to do. He's bringing the kingdom. All right, all right, all right. And as soon as they get to the gate, what do they run into? A funeral. Talk about killing the buzz. This was a buzz kill. And the woman... The woman was uh, a widow. And this funeral was for her only son. She's alone. She's got nobody. Nobody in her family. And let me tell you, I can only imagine being the last standing member of your family is a very bereft, very alone feeling, I'm certain. But folks, in that first century, for a woman to have no husband, no son, no brother to take care of her, that was a one-way ticket to poverty. There was no social security. There was no life insurance. Your standing was dependent upon the man you were connected with who would stand for you legally in the court. Even if you own lands, people would take advantage of you. Possessions nine-tenths of the law, people would take the nine-tenths. And by the way, if you do a word study in the Scriptures about how God feels about widows, let me tell you this, a few things. God defends the widow. God is for the widow. And God says, do not mistreat the widow. And if you want to get in trouble with God, and I mean this seriously, mess with a widow. Do not. Because he sees and he knows. But at this moment, it's not very apparent. She just feels barren and naked out there. And of course, the whole town is there following her Because that's what good Jews did when somebody died. That didn't mean they were going to take care of her. In fact, somebody in that crowd might have even thought about, I wonder how I can manipulate my way into getting what's left. This is a tragic situation. And everybody knows it. And again, from just a standpoint of momentum... What a buzzkill for what Jesus is trying to do. But notice Jesus' response in verse 13. It says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out for her. And here's the first thing I I want you to know. I want you to take in. That the Lord sees and he cares. The Lord sees and he cares. From a theological standpoint, in this gospel. This is the first time that Luke himself uses the word Lord to talk about Jesus. Other people in the gospel, as he explains the narrative, will use the word Lord. But Jesus now uses the word Lord. 
in the Greek Old Testament, that word Lord was used to represent Yahweh, the living God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is more than just a man. He is the Lord. Not a Lord, He is the Lord. So He's identifying who Jesus really is. And then again, He saw her. He saw her. And this may not seem significant to us, it's just a little thing, but Jesus is not caught up in His own agenda. He's not caught up in, man, this is really bringing a downer on what I was hoping to do here in name. Oh, then we ran into a funeral. That killed everything. You know, to society, this woman is just another widow. Not the first, she won't be the last. She's insignificant, though, in society's eyes. She really doesn't matter. She's just another widow. But not in Jesus' eyes. Not in Jesus' eyes. He sees her. He sees her. And sometimes in our tragedies and our trials, we're tempted to think, God has forgotten about me. He doesn't see me. I'm unimportant. The Lord of Jesus says, I do. I do see and I do care. And we need to know that. And then listen what happens next. It says, his heart went out to her. It's just, in the Greek, it's one Greek word, which means Jesus was moved in his innards. And we're not talking about a bowel movement here, folks. What we're talking about is that gut-punching compassion that when our heart is moved for, to have compassion on somebody, that's what Jesus feels for this woman. When he sees her, when he knows his, her situation, it's like a gut punch to him. He feels it inwardly, physically. That's what's going on in Jesus right now. When he sees her and he realizes the situation. Why? Maybe it's a reminder of his own mom who's seven miles northwest of him. Knowing that he's going to the cross and one day she will probably be without a husband and a son. Although there are other brothers. Or maybe he was just moved by the, the tragedy of it all. This is a terrible situation. This is the fall. And I hate it. And he did and he does. But ultimately, I want to say he has compassion. He has this sense because it is part of his character. Jesus is the Lord. And he has compassion upon the outcast, upon the poor, the widow, the one who is bereft. He has compassion even on sinners. Remember, Jesus is the Christ, God who put on flesh, the Lord. It's part of His character. And just to give you a sample size, 
of what God has said earlier about who he is. And this is God revealing himself to Moses as he passes by. He says, you can't see my face, but you can see my hindsight, Moses. When he comes by, he says this. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. See, Jesus has come put on flesh to explain what God is like. And it really is a living illustration of how God I think, sees our spiritual poverty. How we're in a place of spiritual tragedy. Heading towards an eternity without Him, unable to do anything about it. We are powerless, bereft. We are orphans, we are widows. We have nothing. In ourselves, and God has compassion upon us. He sees us in our need, and He has done something about it in sending His Son Jesus. And I know I'm kind of taking this bit by bit, and maybe in its own isolated statement, it's it's a little much. But Jesus responds to the widow saying, "Don't weep." Don't weep. You know, if Jesus were in my pastoral counseling class in seminary, he would have got an F for that response. Because we're taught to empathize. You must be feeling tremendous pain right now. But Jesus says, don't weep. Don't weep. Don't, do, don't you get what just happened to me, Jesus? Are you just saying, keep it on the sunny side of life? Don't worry, be happy? You know, platitudes aren't going to work here. The power of positive thinking is not going to bring my son back to life. You better be prepared to do something, Jesus. And he is. You know, the chapter previous, chapter 6, we were going through the sermon on the plain, right? And one of the things Jesus would say is this, Blessed are you who weep, for you will laugh. Chapter 6, verse 21. Jesus is going to bring this to full fruition. Because Jesus, the Lord, plans to do something here. He plans to do something here. Verse 14, and then he went up and touched the bier. They were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. <laughs> First of all, it's just kind of interesting how Jesus responds. He, he puts his hand on this stretcher, this, this funeral bier, right? They're carrying this young man. Now, if you know anything about the cleanliness laws in the Old Testament, you know that if you a holy man touches a dead man, it makes him unclean. It makes him unholy at that moment, right? So Jesus better be doing something here. He better have a plan. 
And he exercises his authority. And he says, young man, I say to you, get up. Get up. Now folks, if you know the Old Testament, there are only two other situations where a person is risen from the dead. First from the prophet Elijah, where he goes to a widow at Zarephath, and her son dies. And Elijah calls upon the name of the Lord that this widow's son might be healed and risen from the dead. And then Elisha, his, his prodigy, he goes to this Shunammite woman who he prophesies that she's going to have a son because she was barren. But then when he's a little kid, he has this massive migraine headache. Worse than what happened to Casey. And the kid dies. And Elisha comes and he prays over them and lies upon the child and calls them upon the name of the Lord. And eventually that child sneezes seven times and is risen from the dead. These are mighty men of God. Mighty men of God. But they have to call upon the name of the Lord. But look what Jesus does in contrast. He says, I say to you, get up. See, Jesus has authority because He is the Lord. And He is the Lord of life. I love, I love it. The Bible is so just real what happens. And it says that the dead man sat up and began to talk. Maybe this kid was a motor mouth. I don't know. You know, but what was he saying? It's like, what am I doing here? You decide to dress me in this? What? You know, can a guy get a meal here? Well, I don't know what he said. But his mouth is running. But he's obvious alive. And it says that Jesus gave him back to his mother. This young man is rescued from the grave, given back to his mother. Given back to his mother for her care because Jesus had compassion upon her. Jesus turns a funeral into a fiesta, if you will. And then it continues on saying, they were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us. Yeah, just like Elijah, Elisha. But then they say this, God has come to help His people. Literally, in the Greek, God has come to visit His people. In verse 17, the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. You know, these words were truer than the people knew. God has come to visit His people. This is part of the gospel, the good news. God came and dwelt among us. And here He is to deal with the brokenness of sin. And by the way, God tipped us off earlier in this gospel through Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, when he prophesied this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, because He has visited and redeemed 
his people. Chapter 1, verse 68, then on to 78. Because the tender mercy of our God, which the dawn, which the dawn will visit us from on high to shine on those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. God has visited His people. And here's the third point, right? God has come to visit, to help us. You see, this whole episode really illustrates the Incarnation. Emmanuel, that God is with us. It's part of that good news story. And maybe we take it for granted because we hear it over and over again. But it should cause us to be struck with awe and wonder. And He has come to deal with the curse of death. He shows us He is Lord. He shows us He is Lord of life. And by the way, this is not the only person that Jesus will raise from the dead. We'll get to chapter 20, excuse me, chapter 8 of Luke, and He's going to raise a man named Jairus' daughter. He's a ruler of the synagogue. If we go over to the Gospel of John in chapter 11, he raises a friend named Lazarus. In fact, he waits four days to do it. But he does it to show that he is the Lord of life. But folks, and you know the story. If you've been around here, you're familiar with the Gospel. This is all foreshadowing his ultimate plan to deal with death, right? He will taste death Himself. God has put on flesh. He will taste death Himself. He was made like us in every way, and He will taste death Himself for us. He'll go to the cross, He'll go to the grave, and then He'll rise and conquer death. And this is the commentary the author of Hebrews says about this. This is God's plan and how he, how he saves us, how He saves us from death. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, He too shared in their humanity so that by His death He might break the power of Him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. You see, folks, He shared our humanity in order that we might share in His eternity. God came down to deal with our brokenness. To deal with death. There's a few things I want to bring to your attention here as we close up here. When we go through a trial, God does see us. God does care. In fact, He has compassion upon us. It may not seem like it. And God may allow the trial to remain. Temporarily or permanently. But He does so out of His goodness and His wisdom. Again, Casey, I don't make you the poster child here for trials, but... 
You know what? God allowed Casey to, to experience some trials so she could be brought back to take care of some other business God had for her. See, we don't see the whole story, but he does. That's where maybe we don't see the plan, but we trust his character. We trust his heart and his wisdom in that. But again, this passage shows us that he cares, that he has compassion, that he is with us. That he is with us and he goes with us. There's a story about Martin Luther, that great reformer. Martin Luther and his wife, Katie, had six children. I believe only four made it to adulthood. But I believe at the two-month mark, he lost one of his children, and his wife said, Where was God then? Where was God then? And Luther said to his wife, broken, said, Katie, he was right there with us. Weeping with us. He sees. He has compassion. He is with us. Number two. While death is not completely removed from our existence... It's transformed from a bitter end to a pathway into his eternity. Here's the thing, folks. This young man and this widow, they're going to die. <laughs> they died. He was brought back, but he died. But Jesus came to deal with that. And death is not the end for those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. See folks, this earth is not our final resting place. We ought not be surprised when we come to places and say, this is not how it should be. We're blessed here in Rochester, right? Good standard of living. Have the Mayo Clinic that's dealing with disease that would kill people years ago in other conditions. But again, this world is not our home, folks. And I think it's okay for us to feel a sense of uncomfortableness, of unsatisfaction, saying, this is not right. Because it's not. And it won't be until Jesus returns. It won't be until Jesus returns. But we have a Lord that says, Behold, I make everything new. I make everything new. And I want to ask the question, Do you know this Lord? This Lord of life? Because it is those who put their faith in Jesus who will experience this life after death. Let me just read to you some beautiful words from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But the Lord Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, but in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, 
Christ, the first fruits. Then when He comes, those who belong to Him. And then the end will come. And when He hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after He has destroyed all dominion, authority and power, He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His foot. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. You see, we live in the now but not yet. When you put your faith in Christ, yes, you are born again, you become a new creation. But it's not fully realized, not until He returns. But we have a glorious future. Again, Revelation 21.5, He was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. And then He said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. These words are trustworthy and true, folks. He's going to do what He said He's going to do. We have hope. And I'm not talking about just wishful thinking. It's a guarantee. It's a trust fund in eternity. And we're going to cash in on it when He returns or when He brings us home. So let me give you these last words again from the 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because I, I just love these words. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the, the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But, thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Our God sees us. He cares. He's with us. And He's going to give us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Not wishful thinking, a done deal. And that's what we need to move forward in. That's how we need to live this life. I pray that as you go through life's trials, and they're going to come, they come to each one of us, you will know. You will know that the Lord sees. You will know that He cares. You will know that He's with you. And whatever end, He gives you the, the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. He came from heaven to earth for us. He has done something. And that ought to give us tremendous hope. Let me pray for us. And Bobby, I would like you to come and, and close us in worship, please. So Lord Jesus, these words are beautiful, they're challenging, and they're wonderful. Would you give us grace, those of us who know you, to take 
this good news of knowing you to a world that so desperately needs it. And Lord, if there's somebody today who has yet to put their faith in you, who has yet to put their confidence and know that they have an eternity with you, that they can be changed, that they can be certain of where life is headed, I pray you'd open their eyes to who you are, Jesus, the Lord who is the Lord of life. Call them to yourself, I pray. Give us grace to worship you in spirit and in truth today. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.